Spirit fell on them, as this says, or came upon them. This means without me asking, the Spirit's presence hovered on me. And I could sense it. It was real. I didn't make it up. And a language began to come out of them in their prayer life that they had never spoken before. This is a powerful moment. God may discomfort you. God may put someone in your life you really don't have time for. You really don't, you just really don't want to mess with this right now. But go with what God does. Go with the breath of God, the noom of the Spirit. Catch the wind. this great series in the book of Acts and we're going to jump into Acts chapter 11. Uh, if you were here last weekend, two years have gone by since last weekend. And you say, how does that work? Well, two years chronologically have, have, have passed since the conversion of Cornelius. This is now around 12 years after the day of Pentecost. And, and please get this everybody before we dive in. For the first 12 years, the Christian church was exclusively Jewish. This despite the fact that Jesus had said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Even at his birth, or rather his dedication, Simeon had prophesied over Jesus that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. And yet, 45 years later, the church is still Jewish. Cornelius and his family and friends have been converted, but now something crazy is happening because the floodgates are opening and the Gentiles are coming, crashing into the church. It's revolution. Let's have a look at Healthy Church, Acts chapter 11. Now, those who've been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Just a few weeks ago, before um, heading out on a ministry trip, I experienced a technological crisis. I was sitting in front of my laptop when suddenly a notification appeared on the screen telling me that a software update was available. I sense immediate pain even as I mention that and that I should download it immediately and I had no clue as to the perils that were to come. I was rushing around so no, I did not back up my computer before downloading the software. It nuked my hard drive. It wiped out all my data, at least for temporarily, and it destroyed my computer, which is still dead um, even as we speak. And I'm not bitter about this, I need to say. Uh, it would be wrong of me to name the computer company. And besides, I like the metallic fruit logo that's on the front 
of my laptop. So I'm not going to go there. But I, I wish I could tell you that I greeted this crisis with quiet Christian repose. As my data disappeared, I just raised my hands and said, well, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. No, there was a high-pitched scream that irritated passing dogs and could surely be heard in distant Jupiter. What happened is that suddenly I lost my history, all my taxes and accounts and correspondence, and I lost my future, my schedule, my calendars, and now I'm confused and bewildered at least for a few days. 2,000 years ago, there were no computers involved, but the church, was, the church in Jerusalem was disorientated and confused because they were worried that they were losing their heritage of history where only the Jews were part of the covenant plan. And they were wondering what's going to happen to us in the future as outside of their control, completely, God had moved, the gates were open in Antioch and the Gentiles were rushing in. This cosmopolitan city, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, it's been described as the New York City of the day. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Half a million people teeming in that city. A main street, four miles long, paved with marble. It was known as Antioch the Beautiful, or Antioch the Golden. And a lot of pagan worship taking place Uh, in the city, a very busy port. It was there that because of the activity of the Holy Spirit, who is able to work outside of our understanding or planning, as a result of that work, not only was a church birthed, but a healthy church was birthed. That's why we're talking about healthy church this weekend. I've I've often heard Pastor Darry uh, remark that what really matters is that a church is healthy. You can have a large church that's healthy. You can have a large church that's unhealthy. You can have a small church, particularly in a rural situation, that is very healthy, or a small church that is unhealthy. It's not the numbers or the crowds that's the real big deal. It is actually the health of the church. And so that's what we're going to look at as we dive in. And if you're following along in the bulletin, do follow along with me. What does a healthy church look like? Well, first of all, healthy churches, healthy churches know the importance of church. Healthy churches know the importance of church. This is not just a, a community group or a, a singing gathering that meets at the weekend or a learning educational group. No, this is the ecclesia. This is the church. Now in the church at Antioch, it says in Acts 13, Barnabas and Saul met with the church in Acts 11. It's recorded. It's the church. I am convinced that we need to rediscover the significance and the value of the church. Bill Hybels has famously said that the local church is the hope of the world. I really believe it. First of all, church meets a deep need in all of us. It meets a very deep need. I've mentioned, I think, before that Philip Yancey in his latest book quotes a survey where people were asked, what is the favourite sentence that you just love to hear? What is it, that, that one sentence that you most enjoy hearing? Hearing. And they took a survey asking people that question. 
A lady came up to me last night and she said, my favourite sentence goes like this. I think you've lost weight. (laughs) The favourite sentence, maybe predictably, in the survey was, I love you. The second favourite was, I forgive you. The third favourite was, supper's ready. (laughs) Seriously. Take a snapshot of the survey and it really encapsulates the gospel. God saying, I love you. I forgive you. Now come on in. Because supper's ready. And we need to reaffirm that. Because we're in a selfie culture. (laughs) Where it's all about me. And it's not all about me, it's about us. It meets a deep need. The church is important for mutual support. We can support and encourage one another. Some years ago, I was at a large worship event in Britain. I don't know, four or five thousand people there. A band called Delirious were playing. And it was, it was great and it was loud and it was exciting. It was uh, quite incredible to watch these British people being excited. And I'm not talking about the mild trembling of an upper lip. Uh, people were jumping up and down and, and, and really getting into the worship. And I, I was joining in, looked really idiotic. And, and uh, it was fun. And then the worship leader, Martin Smith, he said, everyone just join hands with the person next to you. And I, I know some of us love those moments in church and some of us hate them. You know, the pastor says, join hands with the person next to you. And you think, sweaty fellowship. <laughs> well, they join hands. Everyone joined hands and it's all very exciting. And then suddenly I heard the sound of screaming. There were bleachers at the back of the event. They rose up about 20 foot up in the air. And as everyone was jumping up and down, one of the bleachers collapsed. There were 20, 25 ambulances. There was an emergency, police. No one died, but some people were injured. And I later learned that up on those bleachers was a young man standing next to an elderly lady. And this young man was mad with God and mad with the church. And when Martin Smith said, join hands with the person next to you, he didn't want to do that. But helpfully, the lovely lady next to him, she wouldn't be put off by him saying, nah, nah. She said, oh, come on. And she grabbed his hand and the bleachers collapsed. And she went down. This 80-year-old lady... And he had her hand and he pulled her up out of that hole. I've often wondered what might have happened if he'd refused the second time to take her hand. It's a metaphor, but it's a metaphor that speaks of the support that we can give to each other. But by the way, it's not just about us. Church is not just a consumer product for our support. It's part of God's eternal purposes for the reaching of the planet. We believe in the church. And let me mess with you a little bit. This is what happens when you're jet lagged. The average American Christian, and it's the same in the UK, attends a church gathering now one and a half times a month. A pastor friend said to me recently, what's happened to us, Jeff? 30 years ago, we were together three times a week. Can I mess with us, with me, with all of us by saying this? Let's not just make church a priority. Let's allow it to be disruptive. Because when you look at the history of Israel, you see the disruption of the feasts and festivals where people didn't say, do we have time for that? What's the weather like? But there was this sense 
of commitment to being together. You're saying, Pastor Jeff, are you telling us we need to allow church to disrupt our lives? Yeah. Christianity makes a terrible hobby. Disruption, priority. It's a church in Antioch. Secondly, secondly, in healthy churches, people practice everyday confident witness. They practice everyday confident witness. Look at what happens here. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Here's what happens. Verse 24. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. As Dr. Luke describes this, he uses two words in the Greek text, one of which means proclamation, public declaration, and the other means conversation. That's a portrait of a healthy church where the good news of Jesus is declared publicly and where we are just talking about Jesus in our conversation. Notice, the evangelists in this case are completely anonymous. No big name. Just God's people, ordinary people, me, you, just conversing about our faith. I think I've shared with you before that I've been challenged about this recently. And I've I felt uncomfortable because I, I used to be very vocal personally about my faith in Jesus. And over the years, I kind of got a bit quieter. And I've been praying about that and saying, God, give me opportunities. If you pray like that, watch out. You see, the irritating thing is the prayer seems noble, but then God answers it. So last week, Karen and I were, were in Europe and uh, we decided to go and get some dinner. And we went out walking in this European city and we probably passed by 200 restaurants. And we looked at the menu and looked at And an hour and a quarter later, Kay is saying, you know, look, this, this was, we're supposed to be going out for dinner. This is turning into trail walking. <laughs> she said, let's just go in here. So we went into this random restaurant and we sat down next at a table and there's a, another couple at the next table. He's, they're Americans. He's a, he's a doctor. She's an ex-actress. And normally when Kay and I go out to eat, we don't talk to each other. We listen to other people's conversations. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you do that? I mean, my wife is really into it. She cups her ears. Yeah. I, I said to her, honey, I'm going to buy you surveillance equipment for Christmas. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But these people are listening to us. And, you know, we've, I just had this um, surgery in England. I had an accent refurbishment. And so it's kind of strong right now. So these people are listening to our speech impediment. And they're, and they're like, are you, are you from, uh, they said, are you from uh, Alabama? Uh, I said, are you from England? I said, yeah. yeah we are. And we started to visit. They're in the next table. So you, the, the voices are raised, you know. And, 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 and we start talking. And they start talking. And they tell us about their lives. And they tell us about their 12-year-old son who tragically died from a blood disorder. And they get out their photographs. And they start to show us. And they share their story. And then they tell us about their hope for life after death. And we tell them about Jesus, who's there to bring life before death as well as after death. And they're listening in and, and they're saying, this is no coincidence that you walked into this restaurant tonight. And, we, and we're in touch. And, and because it's the next table, sorry, I'm getting excited about this. It's the next table, so the whole restaurant can hear me talking about Jesus. It's kind of weird when I took the offering. Just kidding. Just kidding. 
And it was wonderful. And then on the flight back, British Airways, Chandra, flight attendant, sitting in the jump seat in front of us, and we start visiting, and she tells us about her journey. She's a Hindu. And we've had two emails since, and I've sent her some books, and she said, thank you for allowing me the refreshment of sharing my story. Please, please, please stay in touch. Why don't I tell you this? Nothing noble about it. It's just kind of simple. I mean, we've got Christmas Eve coming up. Why don't you, why don't you go to that neighbor or friend and say, Hey, Christmas Eve, Timberline, we've got 7,000 services. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me going, You don't know my neighbor. His name is Damien. And if I mentioned church, his head would spin and he would spew sulfur. You know what? We sometimes anticipate rejection when we should just be giving invitation. Why don't we think about who we could ask? Everyday confident witness. Thirdly, in healthy churches, people contribute to a culture of encouragement. They contribute to a culture of encouragement. Look at this man Barnabas. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. I love this man. Because he's positive. He looks for grace rather than problems. It's a messy city. Are these mature disciples? No. Is Is there messy stuff in their lives? Yeah, but he's looking for grace. I messed up with this one this week. I have a confession to make. It's embarrassing. A couple of weeks ago, I don't know, 10 days ago, in the House of Commons in the UK, there was the most significant debate that took place since the election with the British government trying to determine what they should do following the Paris atrocities and making a decision about airstrikes. It was a lengthy debate and it was reported that allegedly the Prime Minister David Cameron prior to the debate, had made comments about any who disagreed with his position, that he'd made a particular comment that was quite unhelpful. And indeed, during the debate, 12 members of Parliament stood up one after another and and asked him to apologise. And he did not. And I confess, this irritated me. And I went to Facebook. There should be something in the Bible about that. When thou art irritated, avoidest Facebook. <laughs> Proverbs 9.3. Some of you are writing that down. I just made that up. I'm just kidding. Okay? And I got on Facebook, and it, and it wasn't really mean, but it was sarcastic. Sarcastic comment about, you know, an apology would be good. And, and I thought, no one's going to read that, are they? I mean, Facebook. I mean, Facebook, what happens there is people go out for dinner, and they take photographs of their cheeseburger that the watching universe can stare in wonder. And I'm sitting here at the staff Christmas event and I get a text message from a member of parliament. Hi Jeff, saw your Facebook comment, not pleased. I was in the meeting in 10 Downing Street when the comment was made by the Prime Minister. We can't get into the media about it because it's a secret meeting. You don't know that, but wish you hadn't put that comment up. And I got another message from another member of parliament saying, it would have been good if you'd have asked everyone to pray for us because we've been losing sleep about going to war. Prayers would be helpful. 
And I thought, hmm. And then I thought, what do I do? And then I realized I'd been appealing to the Prime Minister to apologize. Suppose I better apologize too. So I did. Why do I share this with you? I share it simply to express an ongoing fragility that we all have. We can mess it up, but let's be kind. I learned a lesson this week, and I'm not one of those guys who jumps onto the internet and uses it for acerbic comments. It just drives me crazy when Christians do that. And I don't want to be part of that. And I learned a lesson. Let's look for ways to bless and encourage. doesn't mean we can't disagree with our politicians. It's our Christian duty to evaluate what we hear. True patriotism is not blindly following, but as biblical Christians, evaluating from whatever party spectrum, evaluating what we hear. That's responsible Christianity. But we can disagree agreeably. Number four. Number four, let's have a mature attitude, a mature attitude towards suffering. Sorry, in England we say mature. You say mature. Humor me. Everyone just say mature. Now, you're always better. Mature. Have a mature attitude towards suffering. Now, those who've been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, telling their message only to Jews. And then look at this. They're suffering, these people. It says this. And the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The Lord's hand. This is Old Testament language that Dr. Luke really enjoys using. Three or four times he uses the analogy of the Lord's, or the picture, I should say, of the Lord's hand being with people, being against others in judgment. These people are suffering. Why are they in Antioch? Persecution in Jerusalem. They'd lost their homes, their businesses, family members. They'd suffered. The crazy Nero was on the horizon. He would begin a persecution that would last hundreds of years. Not only that, but they are being called the Christians for the very first time. And we read that and we think, oh, isn't that nice? Finally, they're called Christians. And they've got fishes on the backs of their chariots. <laughs> no, the term was one of derision. The Antiocenes were famous for their sarcasm. There was a group of fanatical emperor worshippers in the city and so they were named the Augustianoi. It was an insult. So now when the Jesus crowd showed up, they are called the Christianoi, the Christians. It was an insult. But these people were prepared to suffer for their faith. Last Sunday, I was preaching in Spain. The day before, I went to visit a community centre where Assembly of God missionaries are reaching out with love and friendship to the Muslim community, offering language classes and career training in a very deprived area of that city. Can I make a comment that might get me in trouble, but I I just need to say it. Let us avoid the temptation of demonizing an entire people group because of the actions of a few. That is exactly what the enemies of freedom would like to do, to alienate us. And so we make judgmental and discriminatory comments about an entire people group There are many Muslims in Spain who are standing up and actually taking great risks to say, we utterly despise the atrocities that are being done. Let's not get into that temptation. 
On the Sunday morning, I was preaching at this church. The pastor has been told that their church is a soft target for extremists. There are Muslim former refugees there who are deciding to follow Jesus. Here's a photograph of one of them. This beautiful young lady. This photograph will not appear on the internet. She is saying, I will follow Jesus. She's going public. And during the service, I, during the worship time, I just held up my phone and here's the, the congregation gathered in that city. I cried my way through the baptisms because it made me realize that it's possible, ladies and gentlemen, for us to kind of do a weekend Christian thing, Timberline time again, and just attend church. But it might be that this weekend, as we see the photograph of a young lady who's prepared to put everything on the line, that for some of us, we're going to go beyond the weekend thing, and we're going to say, I'm with Jesus. And he is with me. And right now, ladies and gentlemen, we can do that freely. Thank God. There may come a day when we cannot. But may we be found faithful and may we be people who know that even in suffering and some of us in different ways, not persecution, but in different ways, we're navigating suffering. May you know today that suffering does not mean abandonment by God. But the hand of the Lord was upon them. Number five. Number five, let's share grace, ongoing grace without fuss. Let's keep passing the grace around. Let let me just point something out that Luke does not highlight. Look at verse 19. Now those have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. Okay, got that? Now look at this. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Rhetorical question. Who was one of the primary architects of the persecution in connection with Stephen in Jerusalem? That would be Saul, who later changed his name to Paul. Now, those very people who were scattered because of that persecution, Barnabas, lovely Barnabas has come to help them out, but the work is too great for him. So he's got a bright idea. He's going to head off to Tarsus and find that Saul guy. Now get this, the guy who was the persecutor now becomes the pastor. And Luke doesn't even say in the Greek, awesome. It's just grace. Can you imagine introducing Saul to the church? Well, friends, I just want to introduce our new co-pastor to you today. He will be familiar to some of you. (laughs) But what do they do? They just pass the grace around. Keep passing the grace around, even in trivial issues. Said it before, say it again. If you've been part of Timberline Church for more than six months and nothing about it or no one within it has irritated you yet, you're probably clinically dead. (laughs) So easy to get irritated with each other. They didn't play my song! (laughs) One of those new people took my parking space. The parking space that Jesus gave me. (laughs) 
keep passing the grace around. If Antioch could have a persecutor pastor, we can put up with each other when we irritate. And it's when, not if. Last thing, number six. Stay together in unity. Flows on from the previous point. Stay together in unity. See, Barnabas and Saul, at this point anyway, they hang together and they navigate through some interesting transitions. Like, for example, gradually Saul changes his name to Paul and he takes over primary leadership. That could have been awkward. Look at this. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, it says in Acts 12, and then look over in Acts 13, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue. Barnabas had been a leader for four years before Saul had even been converted. But now he gives way. He yields to the anointing for leadership. And they navigated conflict as well. In Galatians 2, you read about a a fuss where Paul had to confront both Peter and Barnabas. And ultimately, these guys would fall out. I can't get around that. The team would break up. But at this point, they're holding together in unity. Very simply, this lovely Timberline family. Let's stay together. Let's speak well of each other. You know, this is the 10 o'clock crowd. I I know no one here would ever gossip. I know that. Uh, And Christians don't gossip anyway. We share. (laughs) But let's celebrate our unity and stay together long enough for God to continue to fulfill his purposes in our lives. So what happens now? Two things. Number one, We're going to pray through these issues that God will help us to be healthy and stay healthy. And secondly, there's a challenge for some of us who know either that we are not Christians and it's time to say yes to Jesus or we are Christian but we we know it's kind of mediocre and weekend and it's not really making an impact and it's time this weekend to say, I am with Jesus. I identify with him. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for what you did in birthing this, this amazing healthy church in Antioch. We wait before you in these moments. Help us to allow church to be prioritized, to be disruptive. Not just because of what it does for us, but because of what you want it to do in your purposes. We pray as we go into this Christmas season that you'll give us opportunities to speak the name of Jesus, to offer a simple invitation. Help us to look for encouragement, opportunities. When we disagree with others, with each other, help us to be kind pass grace around without fuss to stay together in unity and we pray especially for those who right now are listening to this and this is a season of suffering for them God would you grant them strength and somehow the knowledge that your hand continues to be upon them
Let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment. And I'm going to just give the simple invitation that I've given in all of the services this weekend. This is for you if you are not a Christian and you want to change that. You want to become a Christian. This is for you if you are a follower of Jesus, but you know that it's all kind of quiet and it doesn't really make a lot of difference in the way that you're living your life. You see a photograph of a young woman who is standing up publicly and declaring her allegiance. And you're thinking, I, 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 want, I want my life to be like that. I, I want to be fully in. If that's where you're at, in either one of those cases, you're a Christian, but you want to be full in in a way that's not been happening lately. Or you're not a Christian, you want to change that. I'm just looking around this room, and if that's where you find yourself, can I ask you just to slip up your hand and hold it there for a moment, please? Do it now. And then, once you've done it, just put your hand down. And around the room, people are raising their hands. So please do it now if this is your response. It's a safe place. It's not even like anyone's really looking except me. Just do that. Thank you for your response. We pray for everyone, Lord. Reveal yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name.